Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet is a podcast with rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devin Sorrentino? I'm an artist, originally from New Jersey, currently living in San Francisco. On today's episode, guest host singer-songwriter Candace Roberts helps provide a thoughtful conversation about the different ways people are now perceived and represented online. We also take a stab at trying to understand how people view the class system through the lens of a rat and his slice of pizza. I have Candace Roberts with me. How can people find you online? People can find me primarily at my website, which is CandaceRoberts.com. Candace is with an A, C A N D A C E. CandaceRoberts.com. You know, from there, I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, just all through my name. Just do a search for Candace Roberts. Awesome. And you are from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. local artist. Do you want to tell me a little bit about some of the artwork you do? Yeah, I would say I guess that I'm a singer-songwriter and cabaret performer and filmmaker. I have been writing songs, like my own songs, for about 10 years and performing locally, um, doing live cabaret shows where it's my own songs and some covers mixed with storytelling. And I was doing a three-year residency at Martoonies, which is a piano bar in San Francisco. I stopped doing that about a year ago just to focus a little bit more on filmmaking. I made two kind of music videos, short films in the last year. One's called Not My City Anymore, and it's about the change in San Francisco, the gentrification, and, and a lot about the, you know, the rise of the tech boom 2.0 and then the most recent one is called take back your beaver it's a music (laughs) video and it's all about reclaiming pubic hair so the first one's about reclaiming your city (laughs) the second one is about reclaiming your pubes because it's illegal to have pubes these days so yeah i actually was at the druid film festival and that's where i saw take back your beaver and then i contacted you uh, it's a super charming, funny video. But I think that there's a little bit, before I get into our topics today, there's a little bit of a resurgence of people being like into body hair again. I remember I had this like very traumatic, traumatic is a very harsh way of putting that. I was dating an older guy, totally fine with uh, pubic hair. Started dating somebody younger and it, it was like this appalling situation. I was 23 and I was told that like it was gross and I was so embarrassed because I didn't know it was a thing. And then recently I've heard clamors that people are like, bush is back. It's it's a thing. <laughs> it's like, and not like the crappy political way, like the, <laughs> like the, the regular. And I, I'm conflicted because I'm still of, of that mindset of like that I'm supposed to... You have PTSD about yeah, yeah, your pubes. <laughs> So now trying to represent myself in a, in a new light and the topic of representation of the internet, I'm just going to dive right in. The internet has changed the way people are represented and who can represent who. This was really highlighted recently in an Emmy speech, one of the most impactful parts of the Emmys. Award shows kind of elude me in their importance anymore, but I think that the most important thing about them is what content then gets pulled online and Mm -hmm. specifically uh, Viola Davis's acceptance speech. She was the first African-American woman to win uh, Best Actress, which is still kind of funny that there's an actress-actor moniker. That's that's probably another topic. But yeah, what were your thoughts when you saw the speech? I mean, great. It's it's kind of unfathomable that it's like, really? That hasn't happened before? It's just, it's, you know, 2015, you know? I mean, we're so late on that wagon, it seems. Yeah, (laughs) I I think that there becomes this kind of perception, especially even online with the content, you think that things are so much more progressive sometimes than they are in reality. I was thinking about how impactful some other 
black female characters on television have been, and I was specifically thinking of uh, Scandal or I, no, I was thinking older. I was thinking oh, about yeah. like um, the show Maud and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Good Times, sure. Florida was this really strong black female in all of them and showed a lot of the hypocrisy of being a black female at the time and thinking like, even though they were comedies, Mm -hmm. how cheated that person, that actress, I don't even know her name. Mm -hmm. Like I only know her of her character. Right, right. And an interesting thing about this speech that I, I feel like everybody I saw, I don't know about you, but my social media feed like exploded I have no idea what else happened at the Emmys. Like anything. Like, <laughs> right, that was the big thing. Essentially, I think that the whole award ceremony right. was just building up to right. that point. Right. And now it's gone. Like, I feel like I hear no more discussion about... Well, I mean, yeah. isn't that just the internet, though? It's like our attention span is so short. It's like the hot topic for three days and then, boom, yeah. something new. I wonder what, because of like that temporary nature that content exists online. Yeah. Like, what was the impact of the speech? Or, or even receiving sure. the award? Well, I mean, I hopefully opening more doors for more characters that of color, women in particular. I mean, I always talk about, in, in terms of women in general, in Hollywood and the media, I always think of it as, like, the Shakespeare cast. It's like, yeah. you know, Shakespeare typically wrote, like, a play and there were about five to seven male characters and, and one to two female characters. And I t- historically played by men. <laughs> right, 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 right. But supposed to be female. Um, and I often think we haven't come that far. I mean, it's just, I mean, vehicles designed for men and there's the, you know, the other small roles on the side, um, yeah. the few female roles. And again, then you add in race and it's just like it even more limited. Even yeah, diminish. I mean, well, it's just... I was thinking about this when we had an introductory conversation on the phone. Uh, we were talking about both of us produce media and mm-hmm. distribute it online. I was talking about how important I found it was that just a woman was generating anything and putting it out into the existence that like the representation is so small the visibility to women just playing any part i i went to art school it's Mm -hmm. a very homogenous environment as much as artists say that they don't want it to be that way it's still kind of that way everybody that i saw sharing the video was a white person sharing viola davis's speech Mm -hmm. and does this represent a, a change of opinion or is it how people want to represent themselves to a cause or an ideology? Because so many of those people that I saw sharing that content are not people who are part of that community, mm-hmm. not affected by the challenges that Viola Davis mm-hmm. was speaking of. How do you be an advocate of something that you're not necessarily sure. a part of? Well, I mean, do you think in some ways are you asking if people share the video because they kind of want to be on the right side of history or something or like it's this you know I support that sure the way gay marriage everybody's all gaga for gay marriage because to not be means you're homophobic these days and um so I guess I don't know like um it's a good question I mean I think the fact that you know, Viola Davis has to give this speech in the first place that it is still an issue, that there aren't enough roles for women of color and that, you know... You just alluded to the gay marriage equality once the Supreme Court released that information. It mm-hmm. coincided with Pride and then there was a exodus of old Facebook 
profile pictures to new ones with flags and and this is like a new way of representation of like I represent uh, myself as part of a supporter of this community right right and there's a, a conflict there of being someone where I mentioned who supports a community and wants to be involved in the community and then fixates on one message and that message was marriage equality mm-hmm. you shared an article with me about Queers Against Gay Marriage, when we were like preparing for this, it's, I remember feeling like this really sense of joy when it was happening. And it looked like Skittles were like flashing out of my computer, like being thrown at me because everybody was rainbow rainbow this this and rainbow rainbow that. that. (laughs) And and then immediately got exhausted with it. Like you did? I did. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, especially, uh, I mentioned I grew grew up with same sex parents and Mm -hmm. here was all these people that historically when I was a when I was younger, I couldn't be open with or discuss. You weren't part of this excitement then. Right. And now all of a sudden, and I usually say that the, the transparency of the internet has made people more accepting because mm-hmm. you can see more more people that are like, quote unquote, like you, living like you. Mm-hmm. But everybody r- rallied around this idea of marriage and what that represents. Mm-hmm. And as that being a moniker of normalcy. That to me seems kind of problematic. Yeah, yeah. When you think about, well, are you a supporter of marriage? Right. Or are you a supporter of this community? Right. Or... What is it about? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very unpopular opinion to say that you're not over the moon about gay marriage right now. (laughs) And I mean, I feel like it's not about not wanting equal rights, but it's, it's about... To me, it's problematic fighting to have access to this institution that is so problematic in the first place, that we have to be part of a club to get health care or to get hospital privileges or to get immigration status. Sure. And there's so many people who fall through the cracks, people that are don't ever want to get married. So then they don't get those benefits. Yeah. There's um, a lot of gender fluid people, trans people who are never going to fit in that category to get married in the first place. Sure. And so I guess it's just, it's disheartening to me for those reasons. I mean, it, I think marriage in many ways it's a way to control, you know, family and gender and it's sure it's an expression of love, but you can still love somebody without, yeah, without getting married. And I guess to say this, I mean, that you're not a big fan of it. It's like my siblings were up in arms that I said this and it's, and I have so many queer friends getting married and, and I don't want to poo poo that, but it's like at the same time, it's like we're fighting for this thing that is not going to set anyone free, like this institution yeah. that's not helping straight people, it's not helping okay. anyone. Anyone. I actually thought about this as like while you're talking. This represents to possibly straight people that by supporting this, you're not homophobic. Mm-hmm. And does it mean that you accept homosexuality if it can be more normal to in your mind? Like if it, if it falls into a construct that you're familiar with, or falls into a system mm-hmm. that you're familiar with, does right. Is it because in a, in a government stance and in a consensus that all of these people who are quote unquote not normal are now doing this thing that is very normal, so now it's okay? Right. I think that you're right in the... There's a misconception. People think that marriage equality is representing um, an acceptance. Right. And there's a confusion. It's almost like a hoodwink. Yeah. Like yeah. you're... Everybody's focused. Like what happened was a law was passed. Right. And it's a, a law in a system that doesn't represent 
many people, like not just homosexuals, yeah. but class, um, yeah, race, right, religion. Right. Like it's it affects everybody. It's a club, yeah. you know, that not everyone's a part of. How confused, like the situation actually is. And I remember thinking when it passed, and I feel that most people who are LGBTQ or friends of that community was like this moment of relief of like, oh, people are, are coming together against some, something bigger than themselves, possibly. Right. And did think that the marriage equality meant that we accept gay rights. It wasn't about the right to marriage in people's minds. I think that it started to represent the right to exist. Right, right, right. And there's right, a right. huge difference there. Right, right. I mean, my mom and her partner, and they don't listen to this podcast, but because I, <laughs> I would be in a lot of trouble after I said this. <laughs> One of the major benefits of them getting married is my, my mom can be on her partner's insurance. Sure, sure. And, like, they've been together for 18 years. Yeah. There's love there. They're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the actual paper ring, right, right. us going to the courthouse, and I cried when I was there. It yeah. was a moment. But no, I hear you. And I hear you yeah. that there is, it's bundling so many complicated things together because I want your mom to be able to get her partner's benefits. But sure. why are we so in bed with a system yeah. that forces people to get married to get benefits in the first place, which is always going to exclude somebody? Yeah. I mean, it's sure, equal rights. That's at the end of the day, you know, that's what we want. But at the same time, it's like we're using this old container for it that yeah. is a little bit outdated or very outdated or... Um, I think you're right. I, I just, there's so many times, and you see this online a lot, where there's good intention. Mm -hmm. Like people want to do the right thing sure. and they want... It's so easy when you put something visible behind it. If we can get marriage equality for all homosexual and heterosexual couples then we are making progress right, right. in human rights yeah and i can see that yeah, yeah but that's a in in my opinion a misconception like yeah. because it doesn't change anything fundamentally uh, -uh. uh it just means that some legality things might be easier for some people in yes, that community. Right, right. Like it's good for certain people. people. And it's then there also becomes sure. you have to tie it back to class. Can you afford to get married? Right, right. It's not free. No, no. And then there's also well, what way are you going to get married? Sure. There, I was at a wedding recently, and it it was a great, beautiful time, and I felt for the couple in the terms of like. You presented this amazing experience for all of us. This was very expensive. Yeah. Like, right, right. to do this I and know. to do it in a way that, like, societally people approve yeah. of is incredibly expensive. It's incredibly expensive. Also, not to mention the fact that I don't know, uh, you know, I don't have all the facts on this, but certain states now that have domestic partner benefits are going to deregulate those so people are going to have to get married that's what happened in new jersey yeah straight couples as well who yeah. straight couples who don't want to get married now have to to get those same benefits yeah, com, com, a lot of common law yeah. uh, it was common law right partnerships are right. absolving absolving and it's just to me that's like ludicrous it's like again you have to be a part of the, this club to get these privileges yeah. and again people are always going to be left out of that people's definitions of family are always there's always many definitions of family and you know gender and, all and sorts. It's, the more we use a box and misrepresent it to represent freedom, <laughs> the more that this will happen to us in different contextual ways. 
allowing access to something like you're saying that's antiquated doesn't necessarily mean that we're going forward. We're just changing something. And I talked about this in the last podcast that what was the real impact socially to allowing gay marriage? Not talking about genuine gay rights, just legalizing gay marriage. Fiscally, nothing. Like it doesn't impact anybody in any type of financial way. There's no risk to allowing this You mean to negatively impact? Negatively. Oh, okay. yes. yeah. Sorry, yeah. negatively yeah. impact. Yeah. There's no risk associated with allowing this to happen. So it made it a very easy thing to get behind because it, what, what, what do you have to sacrifice yeah. in, in that sense? Yeah. As a hetero person, what do you really lose to allow this one thing to happen? Right. Is that really giving somebody rights? Right. Is that changing the landscape of all the different disparating problems within that community that manifest themselves in many different ways within our government and our day-to-day -day lives? If you there was actually that type of fluidity that you were talking about where you can be with a partner, the family looks different, all of these like if people could get Medicare and social like social security benefits and all of these other things that spouses get, yeah. mm -hmm. that's a financial impact. If you really opened it up to uh, be a much more fluid process and allowed the essentially money because that's what merit that's why you fight for marriage equality mm -hmm. is for taxes and for healthcare like you were mentioning and all these things if you could be more fluid with that that's that's a huge impact to corporations is a huge impact to government you mean if and when you say fluid you mean um if we define family on our own terms yes yeah if you define family and partners and essentially loved ones yeah on your own terms yeah yeah, that, that would have more of an impact, yeah. But we got to change our profile pictures to a rainbow for a day. <laughs> it was a very colorful day. I, I just think that it all goes back to how the internet's changing perception. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, there's representation, which I think becomes very convoluted online. And I will say on, like, a positive note, because of the user-generated content that happens online, there are voices that get to represent themselves that never would have had a platform mm -hmm. without the connectivity. But with that, without the criticality that comes along with that, that representation can warp perception. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can change it in a lot of different ways. Transgender issues have gotten a lot more representation online. Has our perception of what it means to be a trans person or um, trans rights or trans safety, is it correct? based off of what we're seeing on the internet. So what brings to mind was a BuzzFeed article of a transgender teen that was voted homecoming queen. And in Kansas City yeah. or Kansas, the state of Kansas? I think it might have been Kansas City. Okay. Look that up. I think it was Missouri. Yeah, it was okay. Kansas, Kansas City, City Missouri. Missouri. Okay. Which like has gotten so much negative vibes online because of everything, all the turmoil that's happened in Missouri over the past year and a half. It's nice to see a story of a community rallying behind something that they might not necessarily understand fully, but accept and are right. excited about. And what a great moment for this young girl to be a part of her community in the way that she wants to be. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome way to perceive that story. And I'm mm. sure that this, this young girl, Landon Patterson, this is probably a really incredible experience. And I'm sure years ago, she was probably frightened and never possibly thought that this would be her high school experience. Right. And I think that because of the way that content can be distributed online, there's a lot of Landon Pattersons all around the country that can be inspired by this mm -hmm. story. But, and we talked about this a little bit offline before we started 
mm-hmm. the podcast was that Landon is perceived as a woman, but Landon really has to look that way for that per- like to receive that to be perceived that way. Mm-hmm. And is that necessarily what the trans community is striving for? There's acceptance, but is it acceptance again in that box that we talked about, like where you're receiving the gay and lesbian community for same-sex marriage is receiving a right, but they're receiving it within a, a, a confine. A confine. Yeah. It's like a, almost like a tip for t- you get this, but you have to do it this way. Right. Right. And with Landon Patterson, you get this. But you have the race and possibly the money to get it in the way that we say you can have it. Well, and again, you're talking about sort of like a binary system where if you're going to, you know, if you're going to transition, then you're going to look very feminine or Mm -hmm. you're going to look very masculine. And there's not, maybe you're saying or suggesting that they wouldn't highlight a story of some transgendered teen who looks a little indeterminate and we don't quite know what's going on. So like Caitlyn Jenner fits a very specific feminine package and that's acceptable. And I think when, just a note, when you were talking again about the transgender community, I mean, I think to say that there is a transgendered community would be, you know, I just think there's so many different types of transgendered yeah. communities. And so I think what we're seeing in, in media primarily is kind of the, um, you know, hyper-gendered often. I mean, sure. that's what we see in Hollywood in general. People who fit nice yeah, like gender. Cox and, yeah, um... you fit nice gendered packages. So, I mean, that's what's out there in general. Um, but I wouldn't say that that's the... The ga- you know, the gamut. I mean, that's, I think, again, what is easy for us to swallow because it fits into yeah. one camp nicely. It's easy for us to understand woman looks like woman. Yes. So that's yes. like, yes. okay, you want to identify with what you look like. Yeah. Right. Then I'm okay with that. Sure. I was on a flight last night and I was thinking about this. I saw somebody on the plane and I got very consumed because I couldn't tell their gender. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, I... I think that that person's wearing a bra but it looks like they have facial hair and like i really got consumed with it and then i i took a step back and i was like what how does this imp- impact me again <laughs> i was like how the hell right, am i right you know uh how does right. this involve me right. and i think that a lot of these stories everything that landon patterson is receiving right now in and i'm sure if i dug through the comments you're gonna see the underbelly of the internet that i don't want to know the trolls uh, yeah about <laughs> Um, but this, like the, the hate ce- response, the hate response, mm-hmm. but this celebration that she's receiving from her immediate community mm-hmm. is amazing. And I'm so happy for her that right. that's happening. But the fact that to make it palatable and, um, shareable, I still have to be consumed with what she looks like. Right. right. And I, I think about that a lot in Caitlyn that comes up with Caitlyn Jenner sure. now all the time is what is she wearing? How does she look? Mm-hmm. I shared with you an article about her cleavage. Right. Right. It's like. Do we really want to get excited and bring this young woman into this female community that she wants to be in just to put her into another crappy situation to where she is now destined to be judged based on her appearance forever? Is this the right road to quote unquote success in terms of acceptance and understanding and and I don't even know if those are the right words. Yeah. But I mean it's it's a good question. I think everybody is looking for images of themselves. And yeah. so, you know, people are starved for that unless you're a white man. <laughs> They're pretty much you know, starved for images of yourself and you want to see yourself reflected back at you. So, I mean, I always think these first, you know, inroads are important even if they're, you know, 
the accept you know the acceptable inroads if you think sure. of early you know glbt representation or shows like will and grace again they're very it's very palatable yeah. you know queers again when you you get yeah queer, you're fun and you're you well know, and you look yeah. nice and you look a certain thing that and we, you have money you have money exactly yeah. and you're white and yeah. like you know when it it gets into this territory where someone's gender isn't fitting again the binary mold like what mm-hmm. oh what are you how do we peg you um, how do we market you? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, then I think it, it gets more tricky. So, I mean, I think for sure these first inroads are always going to be the ones that we can swallow in a very easy manner. You know, someone who is, tra- you know, transgendered, but very recognizably, like, very feminine, you know, or the other way, very masculine. So, you know, we know how to swallow those two camps. They, and the in-between stuff is where we get in trouble. You said it very eloquently about people are looking to see themselves in things mm-hmm. and they strive for that. And this reminds me of there's a, an, a very important papal visit that everybody's quite excited about. <laughs> the, the Pope has arrived in the United States. And one of the first articles that I saw, not not about his agenda, where he's going to be, but it was an article about who are you in the Pope's entourage. <laughs> and I thought that this was a, um, his, like, do they get inaugurated? I, I know nothing of Vo- religion. Uh, voted, <laughs> voted in, I believe. <laughs> By who? Who gets to vote? The, the inner sanctum. <laughs> I even grew up Catholic and I feel like I don't even know how I those... Have, I have no idea those, and I'm like waiting for a South Park happens. episode to yeah. like explain it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think about um, the first thing was like, who are you in the Pope's entourage? And he's been uh, deemed the people's Pope. And it, a lot of the content that I've seen to absorb or that's been memeable or viral is like, how do you fit into the Pope? How's the Pope like you? Yeah. And the Pope, he's just like us. Yeah, the, the Pope <laughs> cares about issues you care about. And right. the Pope is still a figurehead to a very confining patriot. I mean, like, literally, it's a white man that's our conduit to God. Like, mm. it's like, if we really, I, I don't know what Pope stands for, but, like, if it was, like, person of um, people, elite, yeah, 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 yeah. I have no idea, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's definitely not a representation of every person. And Well, yes. Yeah, Catholics, Christian, you know, yeah. At first, I didn't realize how religious a lot of my social group was, my social media-based group. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even think this was a thing. I remember when uh, Pope John died. I lived in South Philadelphia, and South Philly is uh, an incredibly Catholic area. But I never really thought about it because I also watch people throw trash on the street and, like, scream and, like, super sexist area too so I, I i didn't think that they were that as tied to their religion as apparently they well are. <laughs> but also i sometimes i don't even think you are that tied but if you grew up catholic yeah it's this thing in your consciousness about the pope i mean i grew up catholic so it's this you pay attention because it is to me it was so confining and there is just this extreme history of conservatism you know especially with the last few popes that i mean he is a rock star compared to the last few popes i mean he has done i mean done and said remarkably radical things for a pope just like you you know so of course he seems more accessible and and um but you know he's still part of that system that's like the pope vatican you know whatever i kept seeing articles about his speech on climate um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we need to start focusing efforts on 
uh, climate change is real and we have to, the, you know, the people need to rally around it. And I was, and everybody was like, yeah, super liberal Pope. And I was like, this is such an easy thing to be liberal about. Right, right, I was right, like, right. I mean, it's like, like yeah. not that he got up there and like, or that he, that he's pardoning people who got an abortion for a year. Like you're not, you're not a murderer for a year. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Like, right. I, like, and I, I mean, I guess yeah. these things are. I mean, they're. I get that it's it's trivial. It's like a, they're like no brainers to us. Like yeah. duh. But for a pope to say these things is radical. I keep getting stuck on this idea of the people's pope. Right. And, right. Um, his impact, and, and I'll speak from it from a Philadelphian stance, and then I yeah yeah yeah. I I'd love for you to speak on it from a San Franciscan stance. Is in Philadelphia, the people's pope is disrupting the people in <laughs> such a way that like if you are. Mm-hmm. If you're poor and working class, which is like 90% of Philadelphia, yeah. it is not like other cities where there is a, a significant upper class. Mm-hmm. It's a working poor, working class city. It's historically been that way. I can't believe over how many years how cheap it still is to live in Philadelphia. And I really noticed the difference, and this will be my own only anecdote to understand my mindset leaving Philadelphia. There's no point when I live there that somebody asked me, what do you do? Because yeah, everybody yeah. works to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't do things that you're yeah, interested yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, like, yeah, you, don't, yeah, you don't have yeah, a career in yeah, Philadelphia, yeah, you know, most yeah, of the time. That's so interesting. That's great. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, the first question that people would lead well, off with, do what do? do you do? Because that's how they identify yeah. your status mm-hmm. and who you are. So the Pope's visit um, has closed down public transportation. It has made Center City and the surrounding areas completely inaccessible. It has closed down bridges. Um, because he wants to be amongst the people, but they cleared out any of the the people we don't want to look at. And there's so the, who decided that the city, the city. So that wasn't from him, though, was it? I who don't, knows? So I, I thought about this a lot. Like was like because I'm I'm sure that the Pope wasn't like you better shut down the Ben Franklin. I'm not into that. <laughs> I don't really like his agenda. Um, but if you're going to say that you're of the people, you should know how your visit's being planned. And there's so much social media content that has been put out in the coming weeks because Philadelphia thought that there was going to be this, um, surge of hospitality business. And they were really like Philly lives on hospitality right? and they can't sell any hotels. They can't get anyone to come there and it's affecting all the local businesses. Because nobody can get in. Nobody can get in. Then they sold tickets to see him. It's free to come, but if you want to get close to the Pope, you got to pay. So ultimately... Wow, this was like a disaster. It was a total disaster, and it was a PR disaster, and it wow. and it's just... Then there's no transparency to where all of this money to barricade and all yeah, this yeah. money for... Where is it going? Who's paying for it? And essentially, uh. everybody paid for themselves to not be able to go to work. Uh. Uh, there's been so many funny memes about it. There's been yeah, like... Yeah. Great that people can laugh at the situation, right? but it, it shows... This perception that the man wants to have and that so many social media outlets are propagating that he's this real dude that yeah. really understands the people. However, he doesn't check an itinerary or the internet <laughs> to see that his visit. His is... handlers are not doing a good job. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, you know, and, and then there's other actions that he's doing that are specific to, the, yeah. that I've seen a lot of discussion in San Francisco about. Sure. The, the canonizing. yeah. Um, can you like give a little backstory on that situation yeah well I mean I think the Pope is known to have apologized or spoken out against the negative impact that the Catholic Church had on 
the colonizing of San Francisco in terms of the missions and all that, mm-hmm. and and in particular Native Americans and how they were affected by you know the spread of the Catholic Church and the missions in California. So he's known to I think have spoken to that. Yeah. He's also spoken out against um, or been very vocally critical about what's going on in San Francisco in terms of this huge wealth gap and the tech industry and all that. And he, he's actually spoken to that. And then at the same time, he's canonizing um, uh, Junipero Serra, so, which is quite ironic in a way. Junipero Serra was at the helm of you know, spreading Christianity amongst um, native peoples in California and, you know, however you want to look at him, I guess, you know, um, he was a big part of it, yet the Pope can apologize for all that happened in terms sure. of Native Americans and the spread of Christianity, but yet he's canonizing the Pope. So it's very problematic. So NPR locally showed the kind of outrage amongst the Native American community and other people against this decision. Mm-hmm. And then NPR Nation website talked about uh juniper sarah as being somebody who helped shape california like there, there's, he did yeah um, yeah but like in a, not in a, not necessarily positive yeah but the, it, so it's, it's right. very interesting yeah. even in its own news engine sure like the difference Different between sides. because right now internet wise you're not going against the pope yeah but maybe locally yeah you can you can possibly have that sure. conversation and i and i was thinking like, one, I, I don't understand. All religion is magic to me. I don't get it. And it's not even that I'm atheist. I, I, I consider myself like a spiritual person in the sense that, like, I don't want to be so bleak that I die and I go to the ground. I'm, I probably do, but <laughs> I'd like to think that the energy that I expel in this world goes beyond today. That'd be nice. Sure. Like, that's, sure. a, that's a really pretty thought. In terms of when you start organizing it and structuring it, to me, I, I feel like it's served a a very necessary purpose when uh, our means to information and understanding were lacking and humans needed structure to start evolving into what we are today. Maybe maybe I can get behind you there sure. with like organized religion. But when it gets to this point where things are, in my opinion, more transparent and you can clearly, like you're saying, this person had this type of negative influence on a community. How do they become, a, it's a, they become a saint, right? Mm-hmm. This is the idea. And I heard that one of the miracles that they're attributing to Juniper Sarah is that Someone in like Wisconsin said that they were saved after like saved from uh, terminal cancer because they prayed to this per or prayed to this person and I'm like, how is this? I I mean I get miracles aren't quantifiable, but like this was the story that I read of like one of the The miracles the miracles and I'm like was the other miracle slaughter? Decimation was the other miracle like that it it. It kind of blows my mind, and um, I think about this in terms of, like, why are people so accepting that he's the people's pope, even though ultimately who he's going to be serving is a privileged class, and these ideologies are part of a privileged class. Is like, is it the solace that no matter what class you're in, you can be a part of something, even if you know it doesn't serve you? I mean, I think that's a really good question. I mean, when you're talking about that, you're bringing to mind Obama. Remember when he was running for office? He was like a rock star. I mean, he really was the same status that the Pope is being awarded. And it's because he seemed... It's more because I think he's doing something that 
different that yeah. hasn't you know he's saying things and commenting on things in a way that that no pope has so he in in that regard he's so much more radical than sure. any of these past popes it's, it's it's a departure from the catholic church there's a great fervor and excitement around that you know i think the way there was for obama like obama seemed different and then we realized you know well, just, he wasn't yeah. <laughs> like, i mean just you saying this i'm starting to hear like a theme of a kind of a lot of things that we're talking about is that we're being given a little bit of different sure and as long as it's a very controlled different yeah we're it's safe societally, different. Yeah. yeah a safe different that we're that we're willing to identify with this, and I, this kind of brings me to our last topic, which is, is seems like a really huge topic to talk about, but how the internet is redefining or maintaining this idea of class, right? And why I why I bring that up is there was a meme uh, video that went incredibly viral called "This Rat Is All of Us," where <laughs> you see a rat dragging a piece of pizza down into the subway, and BuzzFeed did something about it. A comedian was the one that saw this rat eat this pizza. Um, I then my saw my I went to Temple University. They put like a squirrel eating a pizza on there. So it's like this squirrel is all of us, and it kind of kept going. And I I was trying to think like, well, what makes what makes this all of us? And I think on a very surface level, there's something I can identify with here. Ah, oh, that right. that rat likes pizza. The right. rat race. The, the you know right. all these. You know, especially in like the the way that BuzzFeed generates content, where it's like I eat junk food, I watch TV, I like this is part of my day to day. I identify with this, right. and then when we talked a little bit offline and kind of dug deeper, it it became this idea where uh, no, it's it's a struggle, and not like in a way that like people say the struggle is real when they're talking about in like a very joking way when something's not actually very difficult. Right. In this way that like. <laughs> this rat is all of us because we're a little lost, we're over-consuming, we're <laughs> upset about things that we can't understand, and finding um, these very easy outlets like food, media, internet, uh, phones, to pacify some type of something missing. Well, could you also say, though, because when I think of this rat is all of us, I think more is the rat is... we're talking about this. Video. Yeah. <laughs> The rat is picking up crumbs. I also think of it as more, if you think of like Occupy, which is about there's a 99% and then there's a 1% yeah. and everything is becoming more stratified. And so it's to, to me, it's more about the struggle. Like, like everybody's trying to grab a piece. And so yeah. it's like a piece of pizza that fell on the ground. Well, I better run with my piece of pizza and go eat it in the corner. Yeah. And, and just how things are becoming Harder and harder. I guess I don't associate it as much with like the junk food, like sure. let me binge or something. To me, it's more about just like ultimately when things become more stratified, it's almost like the 99%. We could be the rats that have to kind of like find our corner and find a way to survive and eat and... Well, and the way that the rat received reward and success is because somebody... Drops, drops it. Yeah, somebody it's a, like it's a mistake. It, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a mistake. It was an accident. Yeah, um, it wasn't. The rat didn't couldn't. There was no amount of hard work. The rat didn't. Yeah, earn that piece of pizza. The the rat was allowed to have it yeah. in some way. Right. And right. I so I think that it could it can go in like many different areas. And uh, this also reminds me of another piece rat of, race. Yeah. <laughs> that the, there's another piece of content that happened online that. Um, where I think that the, the man in this 
really identify with the rat in all of us is a, a white guy in Brooklyn. There was a video of him um, yelling at other white people that he helped colonize Brooklyn and he was a pioneer and that he's being run out of his home. I, I did not understand the irony of his, mm -hmm. his argument whatsoever. And, it, you know, in, in, a, in one reality, He's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In one way, sure. he did enter an area when it when he was the ability to afford it. Sure, um, it wasn't the nice quote unquote nice area that he exists in today, and right. feels that he's being priced out of it. Uh, but not understanding his role in helping pave that, like exactly. not understanding his role in, in helping pave that, and. This is something that I'm sure you're very empathetic to, not necessarily this man's plight, but the right. idea of this this extreme um, wealth and poverty that's starting to happen within cities. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn is, a, is the petri dish for New York that mm -hmm. exemplifies this, and San Francisco is a, a city in which this is happening at, at a rate that like I don't understand. I'm not mm -hmm. from here. Yeah. I'm now like essentially part of this problem of gentrification sure. because somebody did make it a more palatable place of a, a more it's definitely not more affordable it's it's an interesting yeah struggle of i think about myself as a i want to live somewhere yeah you know and i want to live where i want to live sure. and is is it my privilege that makes me think that like this guy yelling on the corner that like i deserve to live wherever i want if i can afford it Sure. Is that? But always be aware that practically of all of us are always displacing somebody. I guess yeah. we're all the colonizers always. I mean, I don't know if we go back to Juniper or Sarah. I mean, yeah. it was like if you think of native peoples in this area, and then the gold rush came, and then you know removed you know Native Americans from their land, and we built this city, and then there's way all these waves of people who come here and. Um, I moved here at the height of the, well, I guess when the bubble was just bursting in the first dot-com boom in 2000. And then it's almost like when I released that video, Not My City Anymore, you realize that there's sort of a hierarchy of who's allowed to complain about things in terms of gentrification. And it's like the longer you've been somewhere, it seems mm -hmm. like you're allowed to complain more. Sure. Like people are very critical. Like, oh, you only moved here in 2000. You're not allowed to complain. I've been here since 1968, since the summer of love. And, <laughs> you know, so I mean, really, it's yeah. like, and then, but everybody, I think we're all part of the problem. I mean, we're all, we're all, you know. The conversation often comes about displacement and then affordability. And I think that there's a larger discussion about the the wealth gap that actually gets left out of this because as you're talking, I'm thinking about like, you're right. Like this is not this is not new behavior for any uh, for America. Right. Like this is essentially how this country was founded. Manifest destiny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I even made a joke as I've moved across the country. I've called it Leafest Destiny, and how like right, how terrible right. of a statement is that if you really think about it? That I I believe that it's the will of God that allows me to do whatever I want. Right. Which, but just remember, it can be a lot about your race and class privilege. Absolutely. So, right. About when I tell people I'm an artist, and they're like, "Why didn't you move to Oakland?" And it's like, right. well, all these people, and I'm sure that most of those artists, if you talk to them, are are very sensitive to the idea of gender but they weren't they are now going to be doing it to Oakland right that's, right. that's that essentially yeah that, that, that <laughs> a lot of the people who fled artists in particular then are part of the movement that have gentrified Oakland yeah yeah so then well, what happens does it move to Berkeley yeah it, I, right I, I, right I it just goes on and on, and on. And on. It's already, right um 
And and that's where I think about this this man ranting on the streets is is the rant really towards the right people? Are we yelling at the right people? Right? right, right. So like I moved here, I essentially am now somebody who has benefited from the gentrification of the Tenderloin area of San Francisco. It's, it's made it safe for somebody like me to feel safe in this area and to live here and exist. Am I actually the problem? Was it was it me? Is it me? You know, well, the, I, I could say that we're all part of yeah. the problem. I think I am too. I mean, I think it's like if you think about who's hit the hardest, I, I just think that sometimes do I even have a right to complain about how much the city has complained when I'm someone, um, you know, I'm white, I, I have the means to make some money and I could land on my feet if I was displaced so much more easily than you know, a good majority of people who are being evicted and displaced, who are yeah. like seniors, people of color, people who whose lives will be drastically affected if they are evicted from their homes. Like, like you know, seniors in particular are being targeted um, as well as people of color and their ability to recover is, is not nearly as, you know, great. I mean, I feel like it's true. Who... Who has the right to complain? I feel like sometimes, like, again, if I were to be evicted, I I have a network. I could land much more easily yeah. than, than... All of these conversations go together, and I think what becomes problematic, and I think that online kind of fosters, is that you can talk about them segmented. You know, and artists talk about them segmented sometimes. Wait, what do we talk Sorry, about? What? Um, poverty in general. Oh, like okay. the idea of poverty. You talk about it in a segmented so do, way. So we can talk about gentrification, or we can talk about race, or we can talk about women, or we can talk about gender. Right. And there are these things... It, and not connecting them, you yeah, mean. Yeah, not connecting them. Yeah. And that's where I have trouble when I listen to this video of this guy, where in the rant, he's kind of right in his mind, in sure. his reality. The problem is that we're not accepting that our reality is bigger than ourselves. Right, right. And, and I, it, right. I think that that's what kind of, that can happen online very easily where you can get very myopic and very focused on your network, your ideology, your ideas, mm -hmm. your support, and then start to take out that other piece or any other piece because you can't see so us. What piece? Like, uh, other people's opinions, other people's. Right. And just stay so focused stay on so focused. your little worldview yeah um no agreed i think what we were talking about earlier a little bit or i mentioned this that in so many ways the internet creates a voice for so many more people who would never typically have like a voice or sure. a platform to speak their mind in so many ways i think sometimes what we've done with the internet is created more critics than anything that is being created like I think we're coming up with zillions more critiques of things than sure. actual new ideas yeah. and so it's a way like everybody's a critic now everybody I mean and I myself included I mean I think I write songs that um, critique like my not my city anymore it's about it's a critique of what's happened to San Francisco I have a song about handbags and our obsession with like owning th status things like handbags and and um, 
you know, even the Take Back Your Beaver, it's a spoof song and video, but it's it's also a critique of um, body image and, and mm-hmm. you know, female beauty. And um, I think sometimes I wish we could use the internet more towards coming up with new ideas and or actual solutions. Or solutions yeah. Instead of, it's so critique-based and everybody's, you know, like you said, the, the story of the, the transgendered prom queen. I mean, it's a really nice, positive piece, but yet I think we want to immediately, like, find what's wrong with it and how to critique it. And, and I mean, I think that's where my mind goes, like, in, in, in finding what's wrong with something instead of, like, let's, let's start thinking about how we can actually, like, change systems yeah. and paradigms. And, well, yeah, and we have this amazing tool that has allowed... Like, for example, us knowing each other right now mm-hmm. is completely because of the internet. Yeah. I found out about the film festival from the internet, sure. saw your video in real life, but connected with you online, mm-hmm. looked at your Twitter, found your work. Right. And here, here's a moment where we're now going to try to create something positive from the situation. But ultimately, you're right. I think that it, uh, even comment sections and all these things, we have an outlet to where we can voice an opinion yeah. and not necessarily start to use this as a tool and it's still a very infant tool, yeah. but use it as a tool of true collaboration and solution and generating positivity or change right. based off of... So we're, we're in flux with this, all these new ideas, or not new ideas, right. <laughs> but n- new content about yeah. things that are existing all around us. How do we now make this work for us rather than against us? Yeah, yeah. Like use it to change. I mean, again, if we, I think there's a lot of us that feel very manipulated by the technology and brainwashed by it. And and I was talking to you about this, how how we're such slaves to our phones and checking our messages and our like self worth is built on likes and and the personas we've created for ourselves online and and how empty it is. I think for at least me, I'm someone who's, um, when you ask me to just send me some articles that I find interesting, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not even one of those people that really even trolls the internet a lot. I mean, I I feel like I I like getting my messages and that's, um, but I think, I think it would be amazing if we harnessed it in a way that we could, um, I don't know. I just think a lot of us feel sort of, um, a hollowness about the whole thing and 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 just how to and i think it's still i i i think that that's a fair critique i i think that talking about critiquing not critiquing yeah yeah um, but i think that that's a fair statement i think that the way that a lot of our like social media platforms are technically built are thinking about them as like broadcast tools self-broadcast tools yeah, not promotion commu- yeah not communication tools and when you're thinking about everything in terms of yourself mm-hmm. you are thinking about your worth and what you want yeah. people to know about you and how you want people to think about you. Sure. And until we start collectively deciding that this shouldn't be the purpose for the, this amazing technology, right. then we will tether it to that negativity. It's why you see most profile pictures are taken from above because we don't want to accept uh, that we might have fat chins. You know? <laughs> like, the, Right, right, right. In one sense, we have new tools that allow us to make videos and, and, and images and all of this amazing content, but we're not past that insecurity phase. I'm interested to see the possibility of how it will grow into something yeah. that becomes, uh, instead of just a platform, but a tool for agency to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think to just to 
speak to that a little bit. I think certain friends of mine have kind of shed some light on the fact that I think it has been used in, in some positive ways. I think a lot of organizing and uses social media to connect and um, yeah. in terms of even like Twitter and live um, news coverage has news never, coverage is never through, been the same. Yeah in, yeah, in in terms of connecting at protests and things like that, it was just instrumental. So there, I think there is, there are ways in which it, it can be used for positive. I just think, I, I think, um, I don't know, just the, the critique culture is, it just wears me down. And again, there's a lot of anonymity in being online where it's not face to face and yeah. you can say whatever you want and, and kind of get away with it because someone's not right in front of your face. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that's changing as things start to move like in, in incredibly real time and like breaking down to make things more transparent. It's, it's very hard to stay anonymous at this point. Yeah. But I agree. It does make it you have some type of mitigation between right. you to where you can say things in a, in a more safe way and you don't have to deal with the immediate repercussions. Right. The more artists, and I, I rely a lot on artists for change because I'm still hopeful and excited <laughs> about that idea, but the more that artists start to turn that criticality into action mm -hmm. and the more that they start, like I think that a lot of people are starting to accept yeah, there's still that jaded opinion and there's still a hollowness to it, but the, the technology is not going away. Mm -hmm. So either we're going to let it happen to us, which is not ever historically um, an artist route, or eventually start manipulating and making it work for us. Yeah. And I feel that as more artists are putting work online, as artists are adapting to these tools, and not just artists, but activists, intellectuals, the more that these technology tools become cheaper. Mm -hmm. Like, at this point, you can't get a cell phone that's not a smartphone, mm -hmm. which creates now an accessibility to a class sure. that didn't exist before. I, I feel that we can't keep hearing the word change online, and we can't keep seeing these like mini things happen, whether they're in boxes or not. And not realize that something is is happening. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that we we're like not close enough to it yet to see what it looks like in like a positive disruption. And being from San Francisco, I'm sure you hate the word disruption at this point because people always <laughs> talk about the disruption of technology, but in a way that like disrupting a system that has sure. been very oppressive. Because the more we can connect one another, the more visible the problems of the system become. Well, Candace, this was awesome. This is amazing that the internet has connected me to a stranger who is now not a stranger, who is uh, incredibly knowledgeable about a lot of things, and I learned a lot, and this was a really awesome conversation. Where can people find you online again? CandaceRoberts.com. Again, Candace is with an A, C-A-N-D-A-C-E, CandaceRoberts.com. I'm on Twitter at Candace A. Roberts. And you can do a search on YouTube for my videos. Again. Which are very funny. <laughs> very, very funny. The newest one, again, just do a search for Take Back Your Beaver on YouTube. <laughs> I want to know what the image search comes back for. <laughs> and then the other one on YouTube you can look up is Not My City Anymore. And that's about San Francisco. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the internet and on the blog at leeandtheinternet.com. You can also find the show on facebook.com slash leeandtheinternet.